Look at that. I believe that was a quarter of the congregation. Wow. That's a praise. You pray for those workers back there. I don't know who's working back there, but uh, pray for them. And that didn't even include the gals from the young gals from uh, Hershey that come with the with the Lees some weeks. So uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, this is indeed Thanksgiving week, as has been mentioned. Uh, tonight is our annual praise and Thanksgiving service. I will mention that again at the end of the sermon because I want you to put into practice some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Normally on uh, Thanksgiving, we talk about uh, the relationships we have, and we talk about being thankful for the supply God has given us, the food and the clothing and shelter, and uh, those types of things. By the way, please be thankful for those things. Thankful for your job, etc., etc. But today, that is not going to be my challenge. I'm going to challenge you to be thankful from a different perspective. Nothing new. There's nothing earth-shaking about this. But to look at life here and now in the light of what is true for us in the future. That's a different way of looking at it. Because if something is true for me in the future, I'm going to start living life differently now. Let me pick on Brian and Pam. They'll be mad at me after this. But I've got to tell you that for a few months now, or even um, Katie and uh, Greg, where, where are they at? By the way, where's Katie and Greg? Right there. Just newly engaged. I'll guarantee you, Greg, you better live life now differently than you did before. Okay? Because you're anticipating marriage. Same with you, Brian. Just passing this along. Uh, it's good advice. But, uh, but you know what? Because you're going to be married, you're going to look at all the relationships and the circumstances of life in a very different way. That's the challenge this morning. Because if there are things that are true for us in the future, then we need to live in the light of those things. And that's the challenge from Psalm 97. Not a traditional psalm that we would preach a Thanksgiving service from, but I believe nonetheless absolutely essential in getting our minds straight in the world that we live in right now. So, if you would please, if you would turn to Psalm 97. If you don't have a Bible, find one under a pew chair near you. I encourage you to follow along of what God says. First of all, we are to be thankful because the Lord reigns. He rules. He's the master and he has the right to do that. In the future, he will literally rule and reign in heaven for all eternity. By the way, he rules in hell too. Hell is not from the devil. Hell is from God. And those that have rejected Christ land up there. He's in charge of it. He rules and reigns there too. But he also rules and reigns in heaven for those that have trusted Christ. He is there present with them immediately, right there in their presence. No need of the sun, the moon, the stars, or any of those things. No need of a light or a lamp, because he's with them. He is going to rule and reign, but he's also going to rule and reign on this earth. But follow with me, if you would, please, in verse 1 of Psalm 97. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Do you ever notice, they call them continents, but... 
Every piece of land on this earth is surrounded by water. They're all big islands. I think he knew that. I, I just kind of got that in my head this week while I was studying. But he says, let the whole earth rejoice. Be thankful. Be glad. Delight in him because he reigns. And you say, well, I look around and things are pretty bad. Uh, is the Lord really reigning? Well, the truth of the matter is, He's reigning, but in the age we live in, He reigns and rules in the hearts of people by the Holy Spirit. And He does that. But in the future, where this psalm is going is even beyond that personal ruling and reigning and mastery in a person's life. Now, I'm not going over this whole chart, and I understand it's a little smaller than I was hoping. But... The cross represents Christ dying for our sins. He has the right to rule just because of who he is. He is God. But he also has the right to rule because he has died on our behalf and provided everything for the citizens of his kingdom. All of it was provided on the cross when he died for our sins and made possible for us to have his righteousness. We could be a part of his righteous kingdom. Now, the next event, we're living right in here someplace. It's about 2,000 years so far between there and here. But you'll notice that it says rapture here. That's not a word found in the Bible. But the rapture is a part of a twofold process. There is the rapture, which is receiving to himself those that have trusted Christ during the church age. And then there's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's the one we're going to basically talk about. Some people confuse the two or don't understand how they operate. But let me give you just a really brief outline. This is not my sermon today. But at the rapture, it says that he returns in the clouds. He does not touch down. In the rapture, it says nothing about anyone seeing him. But he is coming in the clouds, and those that are his, those that have trusted Christ during the church age, are caught up, received to himself. That's the rapture. The second phase of that is seven years later. In between, he deals with the nation of Israel. He judges them for their stiff-necked rebellion against him their unfaithfulness to him, their rejection of Christ. He judges them, and he judges the nations. And after that, he returns. The revelation. There it says, every eye will see him. And his feet will cut, touch down on the Mount of Olives, and he will reign on the earth, in the throne of David, on the throne of David, for 1,000 years. The Lord is going to reign. Now, I've already mentioned, He's going to reign in heaven also for all eternity. But the truth of the matter is, if you have trusted Christ, you have something to look forward to. Because it says we'll be priests and kings with Him during this time. We're going to rule and reign with Him. That's a reality for you. And if it's a reality in the future, why don't I live that way now? I need to be thankful because that is going to happen. He is going to reign, and I'm going to reign with him. And then, of course, we have the privilege of being away from the completely away from the presence of sin for all eternity in his presence. We need to be thankful. 
in light of what our future holds, in light of the circumstances that we will find ourselves in for all eternity. The second point this morning is we should be thankful because the Lord is righteous. I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. You go, this world's not fair. You don't understand my boss. You don't understand the debt load I have. You don't understand my spouse. You don't know how rebellious my kids are. You don't know how messed up my parents are and my relatives. I mean, we are, we're dysfunctional. Our picture's in the dictionary under dysfunctional. You don't understand how messed up I am in my head. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how sinful I've been and wicked and how I've messed with other people's lives. You don't know how I messed my life up. And you're saying we should be thankful because Christ is righteous? The answer is yes. Because when we deal with Christ, He always makes things right. This world is not that way. I wish this church was perfectly righteous. Man, elder board meetings would be fun to go to. Servant board meetings would be fun to go to. Everything would be great. Everybody would smile and everybody would get along. Well, it just doesn't happen. But he is righteous. See, I don't live in the light of my circumstance now. This is a sin-cursed world. I have a sin-cursed body and I've lived it out. And so have you. And so do all of us continue in that direction. Wish it weren't true. But it's true. And even as Christians, we still have an old nature and it's a battle. But Christ is righteous. The Lord is righteous. And in light of a righteous Lord, we need to be thankful people. We need to live that way. Look at verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. And justice... I'm sorry, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Righteousness. He has a perfect standard. He's accurate. He's fair. He's just. If you're looking for justice in this world, you better keep looking because you're not going to find it. You vote for somebody and they say something and they don't do it. You go to court and you think this is a good outcome and it doesn't happen. And you make a bargain and you have a contract and it doesn't work out that way. You name it. Whatever it is, it doesn't work out. You go, what happened? It's not fair. That's right. This world is not fair. But God is. And then it says justice are the foundation of his throne. Notice what he's saying. Bottom line. You know, what about God? He's just, which means he gives a right verdict, a right sentence. His decisions, his judgments are accurate and pure and good. As I was reading this, I had some flashbacks. I can't believe that it is actually 16 years ago that the trial of the century took place. Do you believe that? The juice was on trial. O.J. Simpson. He was on trial. Now, i got to tell you, uh, this is confession. You understand, do you realize that court TV didn't exist and all those kinds of things didn't exist back there? Court proceedings weren't televised back then. In fact, is before that, that's the 
illustration of O.J. Simpson. Remember running through the airports? Uh, I'm not advertising for Hertz, but that's what he did. Got paid big bucks for it. I mean, I don't follow football, but anybody that did knew that he had broken records and got awards. And I mean, his was a recognizable face. And that face and that endorsement was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Fact is, if you don't know who O.J. Simpson was from either before that or during the trial, it means you were a hermit with no radio, no contact with the known civilized world. I mean, it was everywhere, 24 hours a day. I spent too much time. I, it was curiosity. I thought, oh, they're going to show what a court was like. And this, I knew it was kind of high profile, so I started watching. Watched way too much of it, way too late at night. But uh, I did. And I watched it, and I, it was fascinating at times, and otherwise just plain old frustrating. But I remember watching that, thinking, okay, I'm going to see justice at work. As his lawyers wrote, O.J. Simpson is shorthand for someone who got away with murder. I didn't write that, and I'm, I believe that, but nonetheless, that's my opinion, Okay. Okay, just opinion. If you disagree with that, that's fine. But I have an opinion. I'm allowed to have an opinion, so I'm using it for an illustration. I don't believe justice was served. I don't believe you ever get away with anything with God. I know that. I know that it's not fair here, but I know God is fair. And I know in the end, He makes it right. But let's do a little rundown through history, starting 16 years ago, which seems forever ever ago. We weren't even in this building at that point yet. We were still building this building when that happened. That's amazing to me. But anyhow, that's when it happened. And um, <clears throat> it was uh, called the trial of the century. You might remember his ex, I believe his ex-wife. I don't think he was separate. I think they were divorced. Uh, she landed up stabbed to death and a friend, uh, Ron Goldman, landed up stabbed to death in one of bloody gruesome murder. There only ever was one suspect. There was only ever evidence pointing in one direction. And at the end of the 1995 trial, the trial of the century, half of the U.S. population was watching as a verdict came back as not guilty. Whoa. I'll tell you what. I was one of those people that was watching. So um, I know at least I was watching. And it's, they, uh, statistics show that half the population of the United States was watching that. Probably more than any other event on TV ever. Somebody got away with murder. Three years later, in a civil trial, he was convicted uh, unanimously uh, of wrongful death and battery and fined $33 million plus dollars. Only a few thousand of that has ever been paid. In fact is, talk about justice, unfair, he gets a pension of $25,000 a month from the FN. NFL, NFL. You know what? In California, they couldn't touch that. He could continue to live. In fact, is he could continue to sign memorabilia, and he did. In fact, is his agent wrote a book that says how I helped A.J. Simpson get away with murder. He said he confessed to me. He said if she wouldn't have came to the door that night with a knife in her hand, she'd still be alive. The point is this: he was still living at twenty-five thousand dollars a month. I think I could just about make it on that okay plus lots of other endorsements yet and then it goes on it doesn't stop there because 
He put it in a book deal. And finally, a judge said, no, you cannot profit from this. And, uh, <clears throat> and so um, the rights were given to the Goldman family, and he actually wrote the book, If I Did It, Confessions of the Killer. Supposedly fiction. By the way, if you don't believe all this stuff, look it up on Amazon. You can read most of the book without buying it right on Amazon. I read some pages this week just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And the point is this. They turned around and said, I did it. The confession of a killer is the way it actually came out. Uh, The if is in real small print. Later on, the state of California sued him or came after him for $1.44 million in back taxes, unpaid taxes. But here's a guy who's still living high. In fact, as he moved out of California, because if you move to Florida, they cannot take your residence to pay a judgment. And so now he owned a big house in Florida. And when he was there, he pirated DirecTV signals and actually got arrested and uh, fined for using their signals, uh, pirating their signals. But you would think that somebody who had escaped and didn't seem fair to me would have said, you know what, I better lay low. And you know the end of the story. In 2007, him and some... um, other folks broke into a hotel room with a gun, and, uh, or at least one gun, and um, they didn't deny. He said he was taking back stuff that belonged to him, whatever the story is. I don't know. I don't really care at this point. But there was a gun, and there was threats, and the charges were conspiracy and robbery and kidnapping and use of a gun and robbery. I forget. There was one other one yet. But He said, oh, oh, yeah, I was there, and yeah, we were there, but there was no gun, and we didn't break in. And all of his co-defendants turned against him. And finally, after all those years, he landed in jail. 33 years for those kinds of things, and he was convicted of all 12 counts against him. And he can be paroled in nine years. i got to tell you, I don't care what you think of the justice system. I love my country. I think it's the best in the world, and I think our judiciary system is about as good as you get. But I've got to tell you, it's not always fair. It's not always right. Oh, by the way, just in case you want to point the fingers at O.J. Simpson a whole lot, and just in case you disagree with me, let me give you something. How many times are you glad when your brother or sister got blamed for something you did when you were a kid? How many, are you still angry today yet that you got blamed that one day for doing what they did? You know what? It's just a matter of degree. It's not fair. But we live and should be thankful in the light of a God who is absolutely right. Absolutely just and absolutely fair. He always gives a verdict. He evens the score. It may never happen in this world. may never happen in this world. But God is the one that does that. And I can live in the light of that, knowing that I feel like I got ripped off and, you know, I've got the short end of the stick time after time after time. I can live in the light that God is the one that will even it. He's the one that brings everyone to justice. Verse 3 goes on to say, Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. 
His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Now notice how he is described, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. He says, the mountains melted like wax at his presence. A few years ago, somebody I trust greatly, unnamed, uh, gave me two books before I went on vacation. Some of you that don't, some of you that know me for a long time know that when Fan and I go on vacation, we don't travel, we don't go sightseeing, we don't do anything. We go out to eat, we sleep, we watch a little TV, and I read books and just take three, four naps a day and just catch up. That's what I do, seriously. And in between the naps, I read. And I've read, one time I read the Koran, and that was so boring, uh, I, I forced myself to finish it. But the, I think it was the year or two after that, somebody gave me two books. One of them was entitled 23 Minutes in Hell, and the other one was entitled Heaven. The first one, 23 Minutes in Hell, the guy had a passion that people wouldn't go to hell, but his story was totally theologically flawed. I mean, it was really bad. He said he went to hell, he saw what hell was like, and came back and was warning people not to go there. I agree, warn people not to go there, but his story was not right. So I was looking forward to reading the second book, and that's when my blood pressure really went up, because a well-known person wrote the book. And what he did is he, ultimately, the end of the book was this. The millennium that you saw on the, the, the screen earlier and heaven were mixed into one. And so you have a theologically mishmash of things that just don't work biblically. And it was endorsed by other well-known uh, pastors and, and well-known uh, Christian speakers. I'm like, what in the world? Because he came up with a final theory that heaven is just a renewed earth. I read the Bible, and I've read it several times, and it says just the opposite. In fact, is in the New Testament, it says that the elements, the smallest parts, will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Keep that in mind when I get to my last point today, because it goes right back to that. It says, the heavens will be destroyed, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. The book of Revelation that brings everything together at the end of the Bible says it this way. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And there was no longer any sea. And then it goes on to say, the first things have passed away and everything is new. And there's no mourning and crying and there's no pain. And all of those things in this life that aren't fair are gone. But guess what? This whole thing comes back to this. God is very present. Those things that have been tainted by evil are gone, burned up, melted away, gone forever. And he starts and gives a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. See, that's what we live in light of. Not something that's just a a remade version of what we have now. By the way, the millennium is a renewed earth. No doubt about that. It's almost like back in 
the Garden of Eden. You can read in the Old Testament a lot of the things about it. No war. People don't die. The disease is gone. No, uh, you know, animals or uh, food is plentiful. Uh, animals do not uh, attack. Lions and lambs lie down together. Those types of things. But in the light of what he's going to do, when he reveals himself, his very presence, those things that are sinful and tainted by sin are burned up. They're gone. We live in the light of a completely new heaven and earth that we can be a part of. We need to be thankful people in light of that. We also need to be thankful in the light of what God has revealed about himself. Keep your finger in Psalm 97 and turn back to Psalm 19 for a moment. Psalm 19 is one of those uh, chapters that my family and I memorized back when they were, well, they were younger. They were living in my house now. Thankfully, they're all out now. But, uh, and hopefully they're doing the same kinds of things for their kids. But uh, we spent a lot of hours memorizing some of the Psalms. And this is one of them. Just like to enjoy, have you enjoy with me for a moment the first several verses. Because it's poetic. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run a race. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, its circuits to the other end of them. There is nothing hid from their heat. You see, God is revealed. Not only to us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, in a very real and personal way that's true, because we know God on the inside, and we also see him on the outside. God has revealed himself what people call special revelation. That's his word. Very specific. Has words, and black and white on a page. But he's also revealed himself to the whole world. People that have never seen a Bible know about the glory of God. That's what it says. Look at verse 6. The heavens declare his righteousness... And all the peoples have seen his glory. The book of Romans chapter 1 says, because of that, they're without excuse. They have no excuse for not knowing and believing and trusting that there is a God who created all of these things. Because he is seen in his handiwork, in what he has revealed about himself. Now, I know that there's a time when he, we're going to see him as he is. We'll be like him. But that's not now. But we're going to see that. But in the whole presence of who God is, we need to be thankful people. Because he is the creator. He created you. He has a plan. You are his possession because he created you. If I create something, I make it. It's mine. I can, do, I can destroy it if I choose to. I can sell it. I can give it away. I can do whatever. It's mine. God is exactly the same way, except much greater than I could ever be. Because I never created anything from nothing. He created from nothing. 
He has the right to do with it whatever. And in light of that, we recognize his greatness, his awesomeness, his glory. And here it even says, and I, I, I fail to comprehend this, the heavens declare his righteousness. I'm not sure how all that works. Is it just simply because it works the way it's supposed to be? It works right? It works according to his standard? It's the only thing I can figure out. I think I've got some things to learn yet. I know i got some things to learn yet about who God is. But that goes pretty far. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. They've seen what a glorious God he is. Now, the next verse stomped me for a while, and I'm going to tell you that right up front, but I think I've discovered an answer, at least the start of an answer. It says, Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves in idols. Worship him, all you gods. Oh, small g gods worshiping God with a big G? That's what it says. Now, i got to tell you, I've read the Bible through many times, but I never caught that before until I was studying for this sermon. Worship him, all you gods. And I'm reading that, and I'm going, I don't understand this. This makes no sense. It it kind of flies in the face of everything else I know from Scripture. And then in the back of my mind, I'm going, did I read someplace about idols bowing down to God? So I started, and by the way, you have to have at least a key word even to use your computer to find a passage in Scripture. I'm typing in idols. Nothing came up. I'm typing in, I don't know, I typed in a whole bunch of false gods and images, and I I typed in a whole bunch, nothing came up. And finally I'm going, man, I know it, I know it. And and this is about 15 minutes worth of study, maybe 20 to half an hour. I don't know. I don't keep track of that. And finally it's like, hold it a second. I believe it had something to do with the ark. And it did. Now, there is a god of the Philistines. His name is Dagon. Now, Dagon is a very unique-looking god. And um, he is uh, known not only in Scripture, but he is also known uh, in the secular world. Uh, This is the picture. This is a colorized picture of the same thing. But you'll notice that this is a fish. There's the fish head. That's his hat. And then there's a fish going down, and then he's got the the torso and hands and face of a man. He was the fish god, Dagon. He's found in three different, three, not five, three. I can't can't get three fingers. Three different passages of Scripture he is found in the Old Testament. And it's interesting what happens in the middle one. The first one where we find him is in conjunction with, Samson. Remember Samson? Uh, he was a very strong guy. At times he served the Lord and, and wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Other times his lusts got away from him and he married and got involved in immorality. And finally, God had it. He was bound. He was uh, blinded. And he was in the mill grinding like a donkey. And in the end, they brought him out to make sport of him. In to the temple of Dagon. And that's where it says that when he was in the midst, he put his hands on the pillars and asked God to give him one last burst of strength, and he died along with over 3,000 Philistines. In fact, is the end of the passage in uh, Judges chapter 16 says he killed more Philistines in his death 
than he did while he was alive. And he had killed quite a number when he was alive as a warrior. Dagon's temple was destroyed. But that's not the end of Dagon. Because you find out later when Samson, uh, I'm sorry, not Samson, when uh, Samuel is on the scene, Eli was the high priest. And Eli had two sons, and they were worthless fellows, Hophni and, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, his two sons. All of a sudden, I lost the name. But anyway, they were rotten guys, and they got killed. When the message got back to Eli that they had been killed, it says he fell over backwards, broke his neck, and died. And why had he done that? Because he heard it mentioned that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. You know about the Ark of the Covenant, don't you? It is where God, in his full presence, in a blaze of glory, dwelt in the midst of the children of Israel. God's presence. So the Ark of the Covenant and what goes with it deals with the presence of God. God revealing himself. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. They took it back to their town. Guess where they put it? They put it in the temple in the house of Dagon. They put it in there. They go home for the night. They come back the next day. And there is the statue flat on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. A false god bowing down before God with a big G, Jehovah God. Now, I don't know what they thought. You understand, they're worshiping a false God to start with. Maybe we didn't prop him up right, you know? Maybe maybe the earth sank a little bit. Maybe the floor shifted. I don't know what they thought. So they set him back up. (laughs) They come in the next day. He's down again. This time his hands are broken off, his head's broken off. The only thing that's left is the trunk of his body. And he fell, when he fell this time, on the threshold of the house of Dagon, the temple of Dagon. And from then on, the Philistines never set their foot on the threshold because of that. They go, get this ark out of here. Get it out of here. So they send it off by cart to Akron. And And, uh, the people go, hold it a second. You brought this here to kill us and our people? You know, nobody wanted it, and you know the rest of the story, the miracle that they hooked it up to a cow who took it home and uh, took it back to Israel. You would have thought by now Dagon would be gone because a couple of times he got pretty smashed and nothing's happened. But it's not the end because you find the temple of Dagon coming up one more time. And if you remember, uh, Saul was not a man after God's own heart like David was. And in battle, he was killed. And uh, the temple of Dagon was still in operation because it says they took his head and his armor and they took it and they hung it on the walls of the house of Dagon. Do you know what? Here's a God who bowed down and worshipped the real God. Now, I got to tell you, you say... And I, and I still struggle with some of what I've just told you because, okay, does that fit that whole thing? But then I also found out what it says in the New Testament. It says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. It doesn't say all believers. It says every person will do that. 
So guess what? If every person, whether they believed in Jesus Christ or not, is going to bow down and acknowledge the lordship of God, I guess there's no reason that he can't force the false gods of this world, whether it's literally falling down or otherwise, to bow to him. Remember, the demons are behind all the false gods and the idols, and we know that from Scripture. Point is, whatever, God is revealed, and he is above everything else. If he is the one you serve, you need to live in the light that he is the one that's revealed himself already and will reveal himself completely in the future. And we get to live in that revealed presence. We get to be with him for all eternity. Live in the light of who you ultimately are. That's the point today. I can be thankful because I know where I end. I know what my circumstance and my situation is going to be in the end. I know who I'm going to be with. And so it may seem unfair. I may be discouraged at times. It may be hard. It may seem like everything's against me. I can't get it right. Everybody is treating me wrongly. may seem that way. And you know what? You might be right. But I don't live only in the present, in the material, in the here and now. I live according to who I ultimately am and who and what I will ultimately be in the end and who I'll be with. I'm sorry. How do I know all of this? Look at the last several verses. Starting at verse 10. It says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who deserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous, and gladness for the upright of heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteousness, righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. He didn't say, wait till the future, till the millennium, or the rapture, or the millennium, or to heaven. He said, no, do it now. Because he does reign. We will be with him. He has revealed himself. He is the one who makes all things right. He's just. He's righteous. And I live in that way, and I praise his holy name in light of that. Now, notice what it said in verse 10. It says, hate evil, you who love the Lord. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. I cannot, according to the Old Testament and according to the New Testament, I cannot serve the material and the here and now and serve God at the same time. He's an absolute. He is immortal. I cannot serve him who's above and beyond all of this and at the same time be totally chained to where I am now. I can live according to who I am. The New Testament tells me I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an American citizen. We talked about this a little while ago. I'm an American citizen. I'm glad about that. But that's not my ultimate citizenship. That's not ultimately how I operate. See, if I was only an American citizen, I could say, well, what can I get away with? What's the least I can do to be a good citizen, to not get in jail, not, you know, any of those things, and get away with it? You know, what can I get away with? 
But that's not where my citizenship ends. That's just our, my earthly citizenship. I'm a citizen of heaven, and so I live in the light of being a citizen of heaven. I live in the light of a God who rules and reigns. A circumstance is way beyond the norm and the average and the day-to-day. I live in a way in light of who I am. I live in the light if I was a young person that was engaged as I started this. I live like I'm going to be married. Not like I'm a single free to kind of do whatever I want to do. I don't live that way anymore. I change my mode of living in light of what is true and what's going to be true of me. That's what I need to do. But notice what it says. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Notice how it describes the Lord. Who preserves the souls of his godly ones. Even here and now, you say, it's hard. What, you, what, you're, what you're saying is, be thankful for what's going to happen in the future and what's true for the future. That's hard. But notice the one that we serve. The one who we love. The one who preserves the souls of his godly ones. I can live in the light of the future. I can live in the light of who he is and what he has provided for me. That's what he wants me to do. So it's not just, hey, I'm thankful I have a job. By the way, if you have a job right now, be thankful. I'm thankful for my spouse, my family, my parents, my, you name it. Be thankful. I'm, I'm thankful I have money, and I'm thankful I have food, and I'm, I'm thankful that I live in the United States. What, whatever you want to put in there. Put them all in there and be thankful. But don't stop there. That's the, that's the challenge, the encouragement today. Live beyond that. Just be a thankful person. Who he is and how he's revealed himself. How righteous he is. And what He's provided for me. That he's going to rule and reign in perfection. Not only in my life, but in all the universe. He's going to do that. I need to live in that light and be thankful in that light. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us the privilege of being challenged by just the awesome things. The glorious and righteous.